Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Friday Reporter Podcast. It's a podcast where me, Lisa, the host, interviews journalists and the journalism adjacent about their work. The Friday Reporter Podcast is in partnership with PR Daily. And if you don't know about PR Daily, it is a tremendous uh, resource for communicators like myself and you and and the folks you work with. Uh, PR Daily actually just launched what's called the PR Daily Leadership Network. It's a peer-to-peer brainstorming and networking opportunity for mid-level communicators, uh, access to uh, measurement of SEO, uh, business fluency, presentation training, lots of other opportunities there at prdaily.com. If you're interested in the PR Daily Leadership Network, be sure to mention that you heard about it on the Friday Reporter Podcast to receive $500 off of your membership. Well, hello, and thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter Podcast. It's been a fun summer, and boy, this continues on that series of great conversations. I am so excited to talk today to my guest. Larry Henry is the senior reporter for Gambling.com, but has this great and tremendous background that starts all the way, I mean, never mind. Larry, I'm going to let you tell the story. Thank you for being with me. Thank you, Lisa. I really appreciate you having me on. It's um, it's a joy to be with you. Thank you so much. So you, you know, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I yeah, you, you didn't at all. In fact, I was gonna just let you kind of go because um, you know, as much as we had a chance to catch up before we pressed record, do me a favor. Help help my listeners understand better how it is you got started, and then how it is you ended up being where you are today. You know, it's really. It, it, I didn't really have any direction professionally when I got out of high school, I joined the Marine Corps. I was, mm. I was sort of, you know, trying to sort everything out and got out of the Marine Corps, went to college and uh, ended up as an English major in college and then was trying to sort out what to do and went to a newspaper in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the Tulsa world. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always loved newspapers. I've always loved, you know, reading and books and public affairs and public policy. And so newspapers seemed like a seemed like a natural, a natural sort of place for me to pursue a professional career. And I'm, you know, I just love the competition of that world. And so I went into the Tulsa world to interview. No, no journalism experience, no, no journal. I had one college journalism class at LSU mm. and walked in and the city editor, I'm six, four. So the city editor said uh, a couple thoughts. One, you've been in the Marine Corps. So all these cops in town have been in the military. Mm. So you'd probably get along with cops. Okay. And, and, and we have a basketball team at the newspaper that we, we compete in this, in this league. So <laughs> because you, because you're tall and because you're in the Marines, do you want to be our night cop? You're qualified. I said, I said, sign me up. Awesome. So that's how it all got started. That's fantastic. That's so great. And so you were in Tulsa. Um, and then, so how long did you stay? Like, what was the trajectory from there? I was in Tulsa for four years. And, you know, it's really funny. The film director, Samuel Ford, I was like Sam Ford. He walked into a New York newspaper when he was a teenager and he said, he said he just loved the racket and the noise and the competition and people running around trying to get scoops and on the phone. And I fell in love with it instantly. Everything from the newsroom atmosphere to the printing press, the way the floor would shake when the presses started running. But I really loved the competition of we, we had a we were the morning paper and there was an afternoon paper that competed against us. I just loved the competition. I love working sources on both sides of the law. I had sources who were cops, pro- prosecutors, uh, bank robbers. You know, you 
so that whole that 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 whole world of uh, you know getting the story first and and getting it accurately really I really just loved it and mm. you know I knew that that it didn't take long to figure out that what the public loved was crime reporting and and so I instantly fell in love with that then ended up going to Nevada a friend of mine who worked at the Sacramento Bee ended up getting a job at the Reno Gazette Journal, uh-huh. um, a, Gannett, a Gannett newspaper. And right. so uh, he told them about me. And so I went out and interviewed in Reno. So I stayed in Nevada for almost 20 years working in, in Reno and in Las Vegas, got, uh, uh, you know, just a lot of a uh, lot of exposure to uh, politics and the mob and and all that sort of world, which I was really a political reporter out there more than a crime reporter, although I did you know, always want to pursue my interest in, in, uh, in, in, especially out of Nevada in the modern crime. Yeah. Well, I feel like there's so much, especially in a, in a state like Nevada where, you know, gambling and, and the, the gaming industry is so incredibly tied into all of that. I mean, the connection to politics alone, really, to me, it makes perfect sense that that would be where your interests sort of came together, right? Because there's just so much that happens, and inherently because of the overlaps and and the the intersection with organized crime, it's interesting now to think about that in a way that that really sort of has rocket shipped your career for yourself. It, it has, and you know what's really funny about it? When I was in Nevada, and you know this being 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 from New Jersey, it, it was for a long time Nevada was the only place that had any any really legal gambling, right? Um. And so because of Nevada's, I think, because of Nevada's uh, history with the mob and cars blowing up and, you know, Tony the Ant Spilatro and Frank Lefty Rosenthal, all the stuff portrayed in the movie Casino, mm. Nevada had an image, as did gaming, which which I think was unfair, which was that it was, a you know, and, and there was there, there was some some truth to this. It was sort of a tawdry industry but not really the legal industry and that was what where where nevadans sort of had a monopoly on on something the rest of the country later got on board with which is that you know it's a it's a it's a tax revenue generator it's a yeah. job producer the legal gaming industry huge um, for sure which is completely different from the illegal industry <laughs> right but right nevada had monopoly on it and and so it it, it really uh, you know, it, it really, yeah, it, it really, I think to this day, to be honest with you, I think a lot of the, uh, you know, you see, I cover at gambling.com now, I cover a lot of the legislative efforts to legalize sports betting across the country. 30 states now have it. Legally. Oh my gosh. Five, well, busy, busy time. It, it is. And so five others, it's been legalized. They just haven't started yet. But when you listen to some of the debates in states where they didn't approve it, you hear some of the throwback stuff, Lisa, to, you know, some of the concerns that I think the image of that whole negative, uh, you'll hear arguments like it creates crime and the mob, That that's really sort of an old image of illegal gambling. Right. Legal gambling has moved beyond that. Um, it's the illegal stuff that, 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 you know, creates problems with, with, you know, um, with uh, a lot, a lot of criminal conduct. So you still hear that sort of negative image still persist. And uh, I was, <laughs> I saw something the other day from 1961. CBS had done a, a, a documentary called uh, Biography of a Bookie Joint about a place on Massachusetts Avenue in Boston, mm. with all these people going into this illegal, it was a key shop, it was illegal betting, cops went in, and so that whole negative image of betting 
um, still lingers a little bit today, although it's really eroding. I was going to ask that because it feels like, you know, especially here in Washington, where most smart industries that are job creating, that are big economic drivers, gaming being one of them, um, are really smartly putting together these sharp uh public affairs campaigns where they're re-educating people about, um, you know, the value that this tremendous industry brings. And it feels to me, at least from watching from the outside in, that that is really starting to change. Um, So as much as there will be people that will dredge up sort of old um, stigmas that go along with sort of an old model, really what I think has to be putting these states over the line and making these decisions is that great economic value that this really brings. Yeah, you look at yeah, exactly. And you look at, at a state like New York. So right now on the ballot in California, there are two initiatives to legalize sports betting. One would allow mobile. One would be on site only. Mm-hmm. California is the biggest state in the country by far, but by far with about 40 million people. New York right now is the biggest state with legal sports betting mm. um, with about 20 million people, about half the size of California. Texas doesn't have legal sports betting. It's the second biggest state. So. In New York alone, Lisa, since January 8th, when they began legal legal sports betting, mobile sports betting, they had sports betting in upstate casinos on site. Yeah. But when they began legal mobile sports betting, which is what everybody wants, that's, of course. that's by far the majority of sports betting. They've already, since January 8th, had a handle, meaning you know the amount of money bet on sports on mobile phones and computers, of almost nine billion dollars. The wow. governor, the governor praises it. Um, Senator Dabo told me that he thinks that at, at, at the next session or, or, or a future session, there will be eye gaming in New York. So I think what happened is, is you, is, is, is politicians from the Republican and Democratic side of the aisle. It's a bipartisan issue because it's, it's, it's a, almost a willful tax paid. I mean, they, they generate a lot of tax revenue without having to, as politicians, go raise taxes. They don't have to raise sales taxes or property taxes. They pass, they pass sports betting and, and I gaming and, 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 and the public really loves it. And it's revenue for the state. Yeah. And they're willing, and they're willing to make that they know going in that there's going to be a bit of a kickback to the state. So it's almost as if they're sort of willfully going in knowing that some of it is going to benefit the state, but Hey, this is a really fun thing to do too. So let's get into it. Yeah. And it's, you know, when I was growing up, you know, the, the, the barber, the bartender, uh, not that I went to bars when I was growing up, but, <laughs> you, you know, the college dorm, there was a bookie, you know, all over the place. And that stuff was being kicked up to mob people and, and organized crime types and all that. I grew up in Louisiana where the Marcello crime family was, was you know, dominant. So this takes it out of that arena. It's, it's like it's like legal casinos in Nevada. You know, it, it takes it out of the illegal arena and it and it. And it and it cleans it up. And so, mm. you know, it's like right now in the states that don't have legal sports betting, people are betting overseas on unregulated sites. And who knows what happens to that right. to that money? Not going to so, the states. Tell yeah. me about so I don't know a ton about gambling.com. Tell me about the publication that you work for. So you you're really covering state by state these fights as they're coming together. Talk to me about that. Yeah, it's it's a uh, we're a publicly traded company on on NASDAQ, G A M B. It's it's a we're global. We're, we're, uh, we have a lot of sites around the globe from, you know, from Canada to Great Britain to, to Germany covering different parts of the gaming industry and sports betting. And so, you know, one of the things I really love, it's, it's actually the best job I've ever had. It's a fantastic company. 
we work with uh, a lot of people who are who are who are on our news side and 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 on our commercial side who mm-hmm. come out of who come out of traditional journalism because traditional journalism is you know candidly struggling yeah and so we've got people who are at the Miami Herald uh, the, the the editor of the group I work with was the NBA editor for USA Today we've got people from the Philadelphia Inquirer so you know the people who work for us and cover uh, uh, you, you know, the industry are, are, are people out of traditional media outlets. And so, yeah, we cover everything from, you know, Ontario just got legal individual uh, game sports betting. It's huge up there. Uh, we cover legislative efforts across uh, the, the country. And as I say, the next big one is the big ballot question in California. In California. Two questions on the ballot. Yeah. So, we cover everything from the news of sports betting and gaming to even some stuff that's that's sort of you know tangentially related. Well, I wrote a couple of stories because of my Nevada and Las Vegas experience. I wrote a couple of stories about there was a body found. I'm not. I don't mean to laugh about it because it's horrible. Mm. But 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 it relates back to the whole mob era of Las Vegas. There was a body found in a Lake Mead uh, has because of the drought has really. Uh, the the water level has gone down. They found a body in the barrel. Somebody who was killed stuffed in the barrel, presumably, uh, according to police and mafia. So oh. that all connected the whole casino world. So yeah. if it's related to casinos, we covered. It's not just sports betting. So right. Um, yeah, um, it's fantastic. And and the thing I really love about it is it's a very competitive industry. It's kind of like the old school newspapers, mm-hmm. hyper competitive and. Um, you have to have sources. And so it really gets back to some of the old school values of journalism, which is, you know, source development and uh, moving quickly on everything from social media sites to the online platform. So it's fantastic. Well, how do you do that? So you're I mean, because you're covering so many states, that source development has got to be the kind of thing where you're constantly working the phones, constantly connecting. I mean, I can't imagine you're traveling to all of these states all of the time. A lot of this has to be remote, too. Is that right? Yeah. And everybody kind of gets it. You know, everybody gets the dog. You, as you and I were laughing about before we started, everybody gets that the dog may bark in the background. Of course. <laughs> it, 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 you know, it, it, we are recognized by, by the gaming regulators and states as, you know, because we're a credible site. Um, we, we, they trust us. We, uh, to get the information out accurately and, you know, just, just like any news organization, once someone trusts you and knows that you're accurate and fair and balanced, uh, then then source development becomes, uh, uh, you know, they'll go to you with information because they'll, they know you'll get it right. And that's one of the right. things about gambling.com. We have all of these journalism veterans who come, who came up in the industry that way. So um, we just have a reputation for fairness and accuracy and, and all that. And it really helps us with sources. That's well, that's terrific. And of course, having those folks that have that great background in those whether it's Miami or Philadelphia or wherever their background is, like having that connection to those local markets will definitely help with that uh, validation too. Larry, yeah, talk. And, and, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say these reporters, it's like with my experience in Nevada, you know, and, and, you know, reporters, reporters come up in States and, and, and develop sources over time. We have a guy named Bill Ordine who, who was at the Philadelphia Inquirer and he's, he's covered the gaming industry since the eighties and has fantastic sources in the industry. So, yeah, it's, it's that sort of source development that kind of transferred over from previous jobs to gambling.com that's really helped us break a lot of stories. That's we, awesome. You know, we prize scoops and, and you know, we I don't mean to sound like I'm 
you know, beating my chest, but we get a lot of, <laughs> we get a lot of scoops and it matters in the industry. Well, I was going to say, because so much is changing so much in your industry every day, uh, that it really does feel like it's the kind of thing where if you're going to stay a top resource for people in the industry, you've got to be first or you've got to get though. You have to have those, you know, those insights, like what's happening, what are the trends, what's coming up. Um, and having that kind of connection with those sources is, is huge. So knowing that and being able to connect those dots early, um, just continues to validate you guys as a, as a resource. That's, you know, when you really get down to journalism, when you really get down to it, and I think this is one reason some of the legacy media sort of lost its way a little bit. It really does come down to it's, it's bumper sticker stuff. You know, it's sources and scoops. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, you know, newsrooms have always traditional newsrooms have always been divided between sort of the soft news crowd and the hard news crowd. But it really comes down to breaking news and and uh, being first with the news. That That's never going to change. And I think, you know, it's, it's like who was a Politico that broke the. Supreme Court uh, yep. uh, leaked uh, on, on on abortion, wherever you, yep. no matter where you are on abortion, that's a monumental scoop. So I haven't followed that closely, so I'm not sure the reporter's name who got the I'm going to tell you that, his name but, was Josh Gerstein, and I've known him for a long time because his kiddo and my kiddo went to elementary school together and we're, <laughs> and we're neighbors, which is the funny thing about Washington, D.C., is that you have all these tremendous, and I'm sure that it's true of your world too, but um, it's funny, we used to make a joke uh, lots of us would all sort of get on the bus for the class trip and we'd be on our way and we'd say, well, maybe we could call this a business meeting because so many of us <laughs> either worked in politics or journalism or public affairs. Um, but yes, that journalist is a fantastic journalist and it was Politico that got that first. But you're right. It's because of the tremendous relationships that I'm sure he had where he got that yes. access, you know. So um, and you're right. It's 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 scoops and it's sourcing and it's also being a good citizen, I think, too. I think just you and I getting on the phone today to chat about about your resources and, and the way that you do your work, it, to me, I think having those values and that important connection to, you know, getting the information right, getting the sources that are really in the know, um, that really, that also sort of makes a big difference. Is that your sense? Because, I mean, you're your show is fantastic. I love the people you have on. And, and that seems to be a consistent theme with all these uh, really uh, superb journalists that you have. Is that, is that your sense as, as it, those values are never going to go away? They've, they've eroded, and I think it's hurt the legacy outlets. Um, you've got disruptors like Politico coming and get scoops in the old days. That would have been you know, uh, I, heads would have rolled in I legacy media for that. I totally agree. But I also think I've been surprised. I was here in Washington when Politico was started, and I know lots of those reporters have now moved on to other amazing places. While at first folks grumbled about the fact that Politico was a change maker, um, it changed the way news was covered, especially here in, inside the Beltway. Um, but the journalists that I work with, and the folks that I'm lucky enough to know, the 75 guests I've had so far, I think that the one thing that really sort of the common thread amongst all of those folks that I've had a conversation with is that they all still sort of have a, a common set of values, that they come to this honestly. You know, whether it's whether they've come through, uh, like yourself, you spent some time in, in the military. Uh, there are folks that sort of fell over backwards into the newsroom. There are those who started from the time they were on the student paper in elementary school. I think people all come to it with the same sort of foundation that that they want to tell the story in a way that is fair and shows both sides of the conversation. It's the point that I have always tried to make with even clients that I work with as much as we 
might not like the story as it's told. Um, everyone has a job to do, and we have to tell our best side of the story and hope that we convey it in a way that's successful so that the journalist that's working on the piece sees our point of view and reflects it appropriately. That's all we can hope for. Like, can't you can't influence a story to the point where it's, you know, just about you. I mean, there's always going to be that balance. It's part of what makes journalism what it is today. So to me, I think that that's something that I still find is a very important core value of the journalists that I work with. I'm lucky maybe that way. Um, but I also think I go into it with a, with a good point of view and knowing that we all have a job to do. And you trust those that you know will get it right, even though it may not necessarily be a story that 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 you would prefer her see the light of day. You trust her, like like you were talking about your friend at Politico. You trust the reporters who will get it right and who are accurate and 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 fair. And that's you know it's sort of it, that's the standard. You know, so the, the basics. It's it's like Vince Lombardi said, the the, the coach of the Packers mm-hmm. uh, decades ago when when he came in after a bad season at the Packers and took over as a football coach. He said, "We're going to start with the fundamentals in a hell of a football." He said. This is a football. I mean, that, that, that's kind of the way it is with journalism. I think, yeah, you know, outlets, some outlets have lost their way. It's it's the fundamentals: fairness, accuracy, source development, scoops. It's it's, you know, that's the grammar, the AP style book. Yeah, um, I still you know, I still refer back to it all the time, despite my clients wanting me to write something one way. Sorry, gang. <laughs> AP says it's another. But I'll say to you this too, Larry. The reason why at the end of every episode I ask the journalists that I've had a chance to visit with for a recommendation for someone else for a future episode. That is how I conduct my work always. If I'm going to pitch a story, I will look at the uh, the outlet first to see who I know there. Is there someone that could make a soft introduction for me to help me sort of go into a conversation, maybe a little less cold? You know, if I had called you not knowing that you and I shared a great friend in, in Brian Adams, uh, it may not have been as easy for me to convince you to maybe come on and talk about, uh, you know, what it is you do. But because we had that connection, it made it easier for you and I to get on the phone and have that conversation more easily, too. Yes. I, a couple of suggestions, if I may. Yeah. Um, one is I, I write a monthly column for the Mod Museum in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. There's an online uh, a blog site. And um it's called The Mob in Pop Culture. I write about movies about the mob, books about the mob, and that sort of thing. Jeff Schumacher, who's a vice president uh, up at the Mob Museum in Las Vegas, he was a metro editor at the Las Vegas Sun when I was political editor, editor at the Las Vegas Sun. Uh, Jeff has talked a lot even last month or so about that body in the barrel. But I think somebody like Jeff has a ma- fantastic perspective on the way journalism has changed. He used to be publisher of a newspaper in, in Iowa. Um, and worked in Las Vegas, is back in Las Vegas, now creates content for the journalistic content for the Mob Museum website. Jeff would be a good one. Mm. And also, I, I think somebody who works for us, gambling.com, up in your neck of the woods, who's, who, who has all these things we're talking about. He's, a, he's great at developing sources. He's very competitive, fantastic in getting news out on so, social media, is uh, Lou Monaco. He goes by the handle online uh, on his Twitter. His Twitter handle is Sweet Lou Monaco. So I would recommend those two for a perspective on the way journalism is transforming. Well, I'm going to call him and I'm going to tell him you sent me. But I want you to spend a couple minutes before we get we get going on to our day. Tell me a little bit about that column that you write for the mobmuseum.org. I love it. I've been doing Jeff and I work together at Las Vegas Sun. And 
So, you know, just my interest in the mob and, 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 and that transformation of Las Vegas from the mob era to the corporate era has always fascinated me. And I mm-hmm. lived in Nevada during that transformation. So, you know, I began writing about the mob and Jeff, uh, Jeff and I began talking about doing a, a, an online column about because the mob is so culturally big, as you know, Lisa, from movies, Scorsese movies, Goodfellas, Casino, you know, all the way back to The Godfather. James mm-hmm. Conn died the other day. And mm-hmm. so, it, it, you know, as, as a Jersey person, the Supreme, you know, there's so much interest in, in the mob. Um, not and just never, and not just the Italian, not just the Italian mob too. Because even before we got onto recording, we were talking about Tokyo Vice and some of these other um, organized crime um, networks that are happening in other parts of the globe too. Japanese organized crime with Tokyo Vice had a, had a great interview with the author of that book, and then of course up in Boston, you know, the Irish mob with Whitey Bulger. So yeah, it's it's it's, it's not, but. You know, so so you know, I, I write once a month about about different aspects of uh, the mob in popular culture, and it just you know it it it, it never slows down. You know, uh, do you ever uh, get pushback? Does anybody ever call you and say, "Don't do this anymore"? I mean, and I don't mean that to be sort of like you know, I'm not. I'm just wondering because because a lot of people say, "Don't talk about organized crime." No, you know the. It's really funny because a lot of people still go back to that whole, you know, cars are blowing up type of thing. I have had people not involved in the mob. I know a lot of people who are in the mob and they 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 love that. You know, again, it's all about fairness and accuracy and, and the portrayal. But uh, yeah, p- people not in the mob have said to me or who aren't really sort of familiar with that world other than through the movies have said, are you are you sure? I mean, do you, do you think is somebody going to come after you? But, you know. <laughs> And as I say that, somebody's planting a bomb in my car. No. I'm, I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Of course not. But no, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, so that sort of interest never dies. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and I, I, I cannot wait to read it. And I, I can't because James Kahn was a big loss. And so was Polly Walnuts and some of the other <laughs> sort of, you know, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, just well, some really trim- died recently. Yeah. 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 No. Right. I mean, some it's we've lost a few of our uh, our favorite actors who've portrayed some really um, tremendous uh, organized crime figures as well. Uh, Larry, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. I cannot wait to follow all of the developments that are happening, whether in California or anywhere else. Uh, let's definitely keep in touch and let's try to catch up soon about all things. uh organized crime and uh and legalized gambling thank you so much for having me on lisa i really enjoyed it and that's today's friday reporter podcast a podcast in partnership with pr daily a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon thanks so much On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery 
and I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.